0: Welcome to episode 6 of Tales from the Rabbit Hole. My guest today is Tim Osman. At least that's the name he goes by. Tim is a conspiracy theorist and he is a debunker. He has done a lot of very good work debunking the flat-earth conspiracy theory by making videos demonstrating the curve using drones and such like. And he's also very into conspiracy theories like 9-11 in terms of actually believing that 9-11 was an inside job and other conspiracies like that. So he draws the line on the conspiracy spectrum at a different position than I do. The conversation kind of starts off a little bit adversarial and Tim kind of ends up interrogating me about my beliefs, but we end up having a good time. Alrighty, righty, so uh, should we just get into it? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, I am recording this for use on my podcast, uh, which I've been running for like a few weeks now. And what it is is a podcast where I talk to people who are involved in conspiracy culture. Basically, I try to talk to people who are uh, former conspiracy theorists or current conspiracy theorists or people who are just like debunkers uh, and investigators. And I think you are kind of uh, all of the above to some degree or another. Would you agree with that?
1: Um, well, I would actually probably first want to start out by for you to give me a definition of what a conspiracy theorist uh-huh. is.
0: All right. Well, uh, a conspiracy theory is a posited explanation for large scale events that involve some kind of large scale, uh, high powered conspiracy theory. Well, obviously, conspiracy theory in the simple sense of that, uh, a conspiracy ...by powerful people, usually for nefarious purposes. Like, for example, uh, the theory that JFK was killed by secret elements within the US government... ...or by secret elements within the CIA would be considered a conspiracy theory... ...because it seeks to explain an event by a powerful conspiracy uh, amongst higher-level people... ...than in secret for nefarious purposes
1: under that definition then would you consider yourself as a conspiracy theorist as uh, as far as 911 comes because there's a conspiracy that uh 17ish uh box cutter people came on planes and basically uh foiled norad and uh, flew around for 45 minutes and crashed planes into buildings and the pentagon and in shanksville would you consider yourself then a conspiracy theorist or
0: maybe even we'll we'll add mainstream conspiracy theorist well you see we're going to get into the semantics there like what we talk about is a you know you could call it a theory or a hypothesis or the, the the current prevailing theory and it involves a conspiracy uh, but you know what people normally understand by conspiracy theory is something done by people high up in power of you know the the state that you are in. So it, the theory that I believe happened uh, on 9/11 is kind of what you say: uh, hijackers hijacking planes. Uh, they didn't all use box cutters; some of them actually had quite large knives. But uh, minor point. Uh, and it is it was a conspiracy. And I guess you know if you want to kind of uh try to uh, argue on semantics, then yeah, that is a conspiracy theory. But what people normally understand by conspiracy theory is not something like that.
1: Well, of course, we're defining terms, so that would definitely fall on the lines of semantics. So that's why I wanted to clarify, because in my opinion, Metabunk.com doesn't actually really go into any of the conspiracies that are known that were conspiracy theories and actually tries to uh, upheaval some of the people like uh, 9-11 architects and engineers for 9-11 truth and other people that are actually probably more qualified than yourself and the people that are on
0: your forum yeah well what i try to do is just focus on things where i figure i can actually uh bring some of my minor expertise to bear like i have a little bit of expertise in like uh physics and 3d graphics and things like that and i have some just experience in in looking into these things so on MetaBunk, you know, I tend to focus on things where I I can actually figure stuff out and and contribute to the the greater knowledge base. So you know I do address things like nine uh, eleven, and I do criticize a lot of the stuff that architects and engineers put out. But I don't think you know you really want to focus on qualifications so much if you can actually look at what people are saying and tell for yourself whether it's true or not. You know we're not going by who has the the biggest degree and is saying something because you can always find somebody with a degree to say something. You can probably find someone with a PhD in something who says the earth is flat. Now I know you can certainly say, find people with PhDs in physics. There's a guy with a PhD in physics, uh, whose name escapes me for the moment. Uh, but he, he believes in chemtrails. He's a, a strong chemtrail believer. Uh, and yet, you know, he's demonstrably wrong. So just because someone is, you know, qualified, doesn't mean that everything they say is going to be more correct than someone else. You really have to look at what people are actually saying. On the
1: kind of grand scheme of things, would you say that uh, your epistemic beliefs in some of these things that you say on Metabunk are actually due to um, basically virtually always from the mainstream?
0: Um, Well, it kind of depends what you're talking about, because... A lot of the stuff is fairly esoteric that doesn't even really, the mainstream media, for example, doesn't really uh, talk about it. But if you want to talk about mainstream science, I know you do a lot of work in uh, flat earth debunking. And what you do, you know, you could say uh, is is mainstream because it's mainstream science. And it's certainly the the view of the the world that the mainstream media would portray. And the alternative views are extremely alternative views. So, yeah, if you want to say, like, am I doing mainstream stuff, I believe in the standard model of the world. And I think that the uh, standard explanation, the, the official explanation of the collapses of the buildings on 9-11 is fairly reasonable. So, so you
1: go with the 9-11 commission report and the NIST report about the pancaking
0: uh, buildings? Uh, well, they didn't pancake as such. That's kind of a bit of a misnomer. They, uh, it was a progressive collapse. The uh, pancaking of floors isn't really you know, a thing as such, but yeah, I think the NIST report, if you read the NIST reports in full, and you know, I've gone through most of them, and it's quite a lot. It's you know, thousands of pages uh, when, you, when you add up all the individual things, like the stuff. there's like one entire report just devoted to the, the fire, and then there's another one just about the mechanics of the building, and then there's the plane impacts, there's all kinds of things. But yeah, if you look at them as a whole, I think they're broadly correct. Now I think there's certainly problems with them. Uh, because there are simply simply limits to how much you can do with a, a you know, small timescale investigation, and the uh, computing power at the time, uh, with the money that they had available, didn't really. Yeah, allow them that's to do actually
1: explanation. That's actually one thing I wanted to get in uh, to you with. I guess the US spent about uh, five point six trillion dollars um, in different, uh, obviously a lot of wartime uh, type stuff since two thousand one. But also, I'm just wondering um, how you feel about the 9-11 Commission report being allocated about 15 million dollars and Tom Keene and Lee Hamilton saying that it was basically set up to fail, but also hey. how we res- how we spent 40 million uh, for the shuttle disaster, we uh, star spent forty-seven million and five years investigating Clinton, right, right, and yeah. as of as of recently, the Mueller report um, investigation was spent uh, twenty-five million dollars on taxpayers. Well, I
0: think what people miss there is that uh, you essentially got the entire resources of the FBI and the CIA for free, and that's not factored into the cost of the investigation. After nine eleven, uh, the FBI and the CIA were putting pretty much half of their assets on to investigating 9-11. So it's not as if we've just got like a few million dollars thrown to a a committee to do like one little report. We've got the entire force of the FBI and the FBI has an extraordinarily large budget. I don't know what it is, but you know, it's probably uh, in the billions of dollars. And so half of that went to investigating 9-11 and not just for a few months, for, for years, so it's, it's a misnomer, to, it's a mistake to say that, you know, there's a small amount of money allocated to the investigation when really there was a huge amount of money allocated to the investigation.
1: The official numbers are 15 million, though. Um, but, yeah, but that's just I'm for just... the
0: report. So that's just for people you know, writing the report when they get to draw upon uh, what the FBI did.
1: Well, we could say that about any of the ones that I just listed off Mueller investigation. I'm sure a lot of the FBI uh, manpower and time and stuff isn't actually into that. So the original claim was that 15 million was allocated for basically the biggest crime here in America. And the people that were in it uh, say they claim that it was pretty much set up to fail. That's yeah,
0: one, one quote from one guy. Uh, maybe two guys actually. I think Tom Keen but, and Lee
1: Hamilton. Yeah, I, yeah.
0: I guess you you look into what they actually mean by that. Yeah, they the investigation <laughs> uh, was in part to identify failings in the U.S. defences, and I think that they are correct to a degree, and that uh, no one was really punished for the failings uh, that led up to nine eleven. So Was anyone ever convicted of a crime through nine uh, eleven? Not not that I know of. I nothing that comes to mind. I mean maybe it's some little you know, incidental things like, you know, little local corruption uh uh revealed. But specifically like, you know, there were there were problems on nine eleven, like jets were sent in the wrong direction, like information wasn't uh, uh passed between agencies, uh people were given uh, uh visas when they perhaps shouldn't have been. Uh so there's all these, these actual problems. But I think that there was a sense, perhaps from the upper levels of the government, that they didn't want to be uh, pointing fingers and infighting when really the real uh, enemy was across the, uh, the ocean. and that uh, they want to, didn't want to distract from that. So it could well be that the commission was set up to fail in some regards and that it, it didn't actually assign blame to the uh, intelligence community for the failings of, of 9-11. So you kind of touched on it,
1: but uh, how do you feel about the war games that were happening that day?
0: Yeah, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, you, it's qu- people quite often bring things up like that there were some uh, drills in a lot of uh, cases, like you know, they talk about the Boston Marathon and there was some drill apparently happening at the same time. Uh, but. I think a lot of those are kind of taken out of context like there was a, a drill for a plane hitting a building on the same day which you know sounds like an amazing coincidence when you look into what it was it was like they were talking about a small plane uh hitting a low building uh in a different part of the country and it was just essentially like a fire drill type thing you know what do we do in some yeah kind of and uh
1: George Bush and Condoleezza Rice denied that they've ever planned for anything right like that right
0: Planes hitting buildings. Yeah, but when they say like that, that doesn't mean like uh, you know a plane crashing into a building is a, you know essentially a simple matter of uh, if it's a small plane hitting a small building, it's just something the fire department would deal with. But uh, two, you know, four planes being hijacked simultaneously and flown into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and possibly the you know the Capitol might have been the other the other goal. Yeah, you know, I think it's reasonable to say that. Uh, the descriptions of that day did not fit the parameters of things that they had thought of before. You, know, you, can, you can point at things like that in popular media, there were uh, stories about... There was actually, I think, a TV show where they showed a plane crashing... I can't remember if it was the World Trade Center, but they, they did show you know, something similar. So obviously, you know people think about these things. But yeah. does it mean that the government actually had a, an operational plan for what to do if... Uh, if planes were hijacked to go into the World Trade Center, I mean, clearly not. The the goal back then, when a plane was hijacked, was to do what the hijacker says, and you know, get them to land somewhere and then negotiate with them. And that's always been what happened before, and that's that's what allowed nine eleven to happen. Just simply because there was no expectation, certainly amongst the pilots and the uh, the controllers, uh, the air traffic controllers, about. Uh, people actually flying planes into buildings. You know, if, they'd, if they'd known that this was a thing, they would have told the pilots. They would have changed the policy. They would have put locks on the doors. They would have done the armored doors. All the stuff they did after 9/11 would have been. So done there was
1: before. no there was no protocol to say shoot down uh, airplanes mostly heading towards uh, the White House or Pentagon or DC in general.
0: Yeah, I think the I don't know. I think they probably uh, had protocols for planes coming from outside of U.S. airspace. And maybe from inside, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what the protocol would have been. Obviously, think, you know, things around White House, White House security, would be secrets. Like right? they wouldn't actually tell you exactly uh, what the protocol was. But uh, it could well be that they were planning to shoot down the plane that was uh, heading towards the White House. At least, the Pentagon. You know, the Pentagon, of course, was in a, a very difficult position to be to have shooting down planes because it was right under the flight path of an airport. There was planes going over there all the time. And also planes tend to like wander into uh, restricted airspace all the time. Uh, yes, you know, it's, it's much more, uh, clamped down upon now, but back then it wasn't, it wasn't such a huge deal because, you know, people weren't thinking about this type of thing. You don't think about domestic, uh, threat. You think about threats coming from outside. So all of their focus was on, you know, Things coming from Russia or things being flown over the border with drugs or America's lucky in that we've got these oceans on either side of us. It was actually pretty hard to get into it. And I think that kind of gave us a bit of a false sense of security back then.
1: So I listened to your last podcast, and what struck me out of pretty much everything that was said is you kind of, in a way, denied when the guy was talking about uh, the buildings falling basically in the path of most resistance. Mm -hmm. And also you denied, uh, and I'll let you obviously talk about it, Um, I'm not trying to uh, straw man you, but you kind of denied the firefighters' claims of molten metal.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and I think I, I gave quite a long explanation on both those things. In the podcast, but basically, uh, the path of least resistance is a bit of a, a bit of a misnomer. It's like if you think of uh dropping a, a rock into the ocean, there's no resistance to it going up, but there's some resistance to it going down. Why doesn't it go up? Yeah, you know, there's there's the reason it sinks into the ocean is that the force of gravity is greater than the buoyant force. So even though there's zero resistance to it going up or zero resistance to it going sideways, because there's a, a force pulling it down, gravity, very strong force, it, uh, it sinks through the ocean. And essentially that's what happens with the tops of the buildings. You could kind of think of them as sinking. It's not really a good analogy because they're not fluid. But it, the top of the building fell through the bottom of the building because the bottom of the building, once the columns were no longer aligned and it was just a big falling mass stripping the floors away from the column... Once you've got that situation, the path of least resistance really is straight down when you add up the forces. There's no force going sideways. There's no force going upwards. There's a big force of gravity going down. And then there's a weaker force of the various components, which are now misaligned, pushing back up. So, of course, it's going to fall down. And it's going to fall straight down.
1: I, I definitely I mean, that's very unintuitive. And, and truthfully, yeah. we don't we don't uh, have many examples of, of this happening. I, I don't think science stops for a day uh, any well, day. But we have, but we, the do thing have examples, is, is
0: we have uh, we have very large demolition where all they do is they take out one floor in the middle of the building and the top half of the building falls through the bottom half. And it, it yeah, and they also,
1: have to, they also have to sever all of
0: the core columns at precisely uh, a specific timing, correct? No, no they don't. They, really? Uh, yeah, they, they take one floor and they rig this one floor uh, with, with hydraulic jacks. And then they use these hydraulic jacks to push the columns out of alignment. So the top half of the building will fall down uh, through the bottom half of the building. And they do remove a lot of the stuff from below the building, like you know, obviously for like removing asbestos and things like that. Uh, but basically, they they just use the weight of the building itself to to collapse itself. Because buildings, are, especially tall buildings, are very very specific in their vertical strength. And most of the strength of a building is in the columns. You look at the columns of the World Trade Center; that is enormous thick things. I don't know if you've ever been to the 9 11 memorial in New York, where they have some of the bases of the columns and they look just insanely strong. But then you've got to think that they have to support uh, like 1,300 feet of more column on top of that. So uh, that only works if you build it vertically. If you think about it pyro-
1: I that I feel that there's a complete non sequitur in that you're, you're talking about this uh, taking out one floor uh it has absolutely really nothing we were trying to make connections of of things that uh, have happened that are similar to 9-11 and, and that is just a complete non-sequitur in my opinion well,
0: but the fires were only over a limited number of floors uh you look at them uh what actually would have been collapsing at the time Yeah, it wouldn't have been as neat as a very nice demolition uh, but it would have been a, a a floor or a few floors essentially that uh Collapsed, the columns would have uh, not been strong enough, and they would have gone out of alignment. Uh, and you know that that would have been essentially the same thing. It's the same physics behind it. Although each building is different, you really have to look at the actual mechanics of the World Trade Center. I mean, you're familiar with the the construction of the World Trade Center in the terms of the core and the floor panels and the outer wall. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, and yeah. the mesh. Yeah. yeah. So you know that the, the only thing that's connecting the outer walls to the core are the floor panels. There's no real uh, you know, big, strong, uh, girder structure in between. There's no columns between the core and the outer walls. So if those, those floors, not the core itself, but the floors around the core, if those are stripped away between the core and the outer walls, then there's obviously the outer walls are going to collapse at that point because there's nothing holding them up. And the inner core itself becomes weakened because it doesn't have this lateral bracing from the outside. You know, the, the collapse is very complicated. You, you're familiar with the thing called the spire? Uh, I don't think so, actually. The spire is... You've probably seen it, but what happened was after the... I think this is more visible on uh, building, uh, building one, which was the... Uh, the last one to collapse the, the one with the antenna on top after building one collapsed and to a certain extent same with building two half of the core was actually still standing when the rest of the building had hit the ground so you can see this this structure inside and it's kind of like stripped away at the top so it's, it's kind of pointy shape so it looks a bit like a spire you, know, you think of the spire on the notre dame cathedral that fell a while back but uh, literally half the building was still standing. Uh, the core, literally half of the core was still standing for about, I think it was about five or six seconds after the uh, exterior of the building had hit the hit the ground. You know, people think of just the top of the building falls all the way down and that's it, it's collapsed. But there's this very interesting thing with the spire, uh, which kind of proves that what was happening was the floors around the core had been stripped away from that core and then that core collapsed. You should check it out. So I'm, I know
1: you're very familiar, obviously, with Richard Gage and the paper that they produced uh, saying that there's these microspheres or this, this nanothermite uh, residue, basically. So are you, are you denying uh, that paper? Are you
0: denying all that uh, they've done? Uh, well, I'm not denying that paper exists. I'm just saying that some of their conclusions are wrong. Uh, with the iron microspheres, they say that the only explanation for these iron microspheres is that there was nanothermite. And they go into it and say, like, you know, it's, it's molten iron. And so molten iron must have come from uh, iron melting, and fire can't do that, thermite can do that, therefore it must have been thermite. But, you know, what I was simply pointing out is that there are all these other reasons where you can get iron microspheres. If you ever do any welding... Uh, you're, you're making iron microspheres by the thousands every second. And there was a, an awful amount of welding going on uh, during the construction of the World Trade Center, and a lot of that uh, that welding dust, which is entirely iron microspheres, would have remained in the building. And when it's tucked away from the elements, it doesn't actually rust. Uh, and there's a the whole bunch of other stuff. During the cleanup, there was cutting going on. Um, the fires themselves would have made iron microspheres, because when fire burns... Uh, rusty steel the the rust flakes and the iron flakes uh get consumed in the same way that uh what is it uh, steel wool steel wool burns if you if you put a match to it. it doesn't require a very high temperature and it it sparks and makes all these iron microspheres and there's, there's a bunch of other ways as well but basically you know, there are all these ways you can make iron microspheres and yet architects and engineers for nine eleven truth and the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Truth are saying this is the only way it could be. It can only be from uh, nanothermite. And that's just just flat wrong. So, Didn't they actually have uh, actual chips that they ignited? They had some chips, yeah. But the thing was, these chips, red and gray chips that they found, I found some chips that look, look exactly the same. And I burnt them, and they made iron microspheres. I found these chips on my wheelbarrow. I have a wheelbarrow that uh, has a red uh coating which i think is probably similar to the the primer coating red primer paint that they use on the world trade center uh the the trusses themselves were painted in red paint and uh as they fell and they burnt and they collapsed and uh they all this this paint flaked off basically and so you have thousands of flakes of this paint and if you look at it it looks exactly the same as my chips it's red on one side which is the paint it's gray on the other side which is iron oxide, which is the, uh, basically the surface of the steel that it's flaked off of, and it's, it's flammable. And I've, I've burnt it, and i made iron microspheres. Uh, so i, I basically replicated exactly the same thing. Now, they're going to quibble about the exact chemical makeup uh, of the paint and things like that, but if you look at their own experiments that they do, they, they find all kinds of different uh, red chips, some of which are consistent with some of the primer paint, some of which are not, uh, but could have come from a different different paint source but basically it looks exactly like paint chips you know it really exactly like paint chips and the composition of it isn't really nanothermite they have iron oxide on one side which is basically inert uh if you unless you mix it with something and in this case it's not mixed with something on the other side what they had was uh essentially an organic binder with some flakes of stuff in it and the organic organic binder is kind of like an epoxy type thing or um a hydrocarbon, basically. So, what happened was they stick it in this uh, differential scanning colorimeter, whatever it was, and heated it up until it ignited, and then it burnt. And what's burning there is the epoxy, the paint. well I'm pretty
1: I'm I'm gonna say that that's probably the best explanation and and I guess a lot of uh this word conspiracy theorists you know I I might believe that we weren't told the official story or the official story isn't actually correct so a lot of times I feel like I'm painted in with flat earthers Mm -hmm. or people that doing transvestigations and this is this is in my opinion something that uh, some kind of a PR group or a think tank has done to where all of these mainstream media articles they'll, they'll talk about flat earth right below it they'll talk about uh, you know anti-vaxxers they'll talk about flat earth they'll throw in they'll throw in ridiculous conspiracy theories to uh, basically try to tar us you know yeah. us with the same brush and i feel that you know it actually gets into the kind of the public sub, uh, subconscious of going around and hey i have a different idea about this than what we're being told oh what are you a flat earther so yeah. i feel that that it's kind of a smear of a campaign
0: Yeah, I could certainly see how how you would think that. And it certainly is a problem. And I see this all the time. Uh, In my book, uh, I talk about what I call the demarcation line. Everyone has some kind of line where they think things on one side of it are just silly conspiracy theories. And they think everything on the other side of it is actually sensible. Conspiracies, uh, conspiracy theories. And we all draw lines at different places. And everybody's kind of obsessed with uh, not getting tarred by the same brush. You know, they, they think that things just on the other side of their line are silly. Like, if you, you, did you know David Chandler? There was a kind of an investigator. He's a former high school physics teacher or maths teacher. I've heard of him. Yeah. Uh, he, right now, is really obsessed with proving that a plane hit the Pentagon. Uh, and yet he's also a hardcore believer in the controlled demolition theory. So he is very upset that uh, what he views as nonsense, this plane hitting the Pentagon, is being uh, you know, uh, misidentified with his position, which he sees as a very sensible position that simply that the, the towers were pre-rigged with explosives of secret nanothermite and the planes were flown in by remote control. So he doesn't yeah, you know, he doesn't like being tied by the same brush. And I also I once went to a, a conference for chemtrails and there was a bunch of people there who were talking about talking with uh aliens from another dimension. Uh for some reason they, there was a crossover conference and the chemtrails people were really angry that these people had been allowed into the conference. So <laughs> I think it's it's a natural reaction, but I I don't think it's necessarily deliberate uh yeah, you know, I think you know, obviously there is some people who will dismiss you because you are a conspiracy theorist, and they're thinking of all kinds of conspiracy theorists. Uh, they're not looking at your specific one, but I think it's just something that comes with the territory. Just because there are ridiculous conspiracy theories, people tend well, even, to not look even, at on the 9/11, even on nine eleven.
1: Even on nine eleven, it's like uh, really the objective should be that hey, in my opinion, at least, uh, that what we're being told doesn't seem to match up. There's tw- there's tons of qui bono who benefits mm-hmm. in this whole thing and then we have people all of a sudden from clues forum and all these places saying that there's no planes or dr judy wood saying that there's uh, elite space weapons and and all this stuff and so yeah it seems yeah. like uh even in the flat earth like i've been obviously had a had a film a pulse on the, the flat earth for a long time And it seems like these things kind of come and go and whatever sticks, the people that believe it will continue to perpetrate it. So things like I don't know if you ever heard about it, but no forest on a flat earth that was picked up and then dropped really quickly because it was so dumb, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just it's gone. Right. But then. There's other theories that come in, and whatever sticks, for some reason, uh, it seems like all you need to do is give a person an idea, the right person an idea. And if they have a following or, or they're able to get it to another person that has a following, the, the perpetration is just uh, rampant. like yeah. You can't
0: stop it. Have you heard of the, uh, the mud flood theory? Oh yeah, I was just talking about that before I called you. Yeah, yeah, because that's uh, that's kind of a uh, you know similar to the no forest on flat earth in terms of its kind of ridiculousness. I don't. Know, what do you think about the theory? And what do you think? You think it's this type of deliberate disinformation or? Yeah. Yeah, I think
1: it's for sure deliberate. Uh, one of those, in my opinion, probably a PR company or, or some think tank that has uh, some ideas and they'll give just a little bit of information. And there's people that um, there's this UK guy I was talking about that is obsessed with it. And he's got like 900 people watching his live uh live YouTube channel where he's just looking at pictures mm-hmm. and some of them are known to be fake, like that giant you've probably seen, the Asian giant or whatever that was just in a, it was in an intro into some movie or something that they're, they're picking up on. And so, yeah, I mean, it really, mm-hmm. I've actually removed myself from, for the most part, this crowd because Uh, the people aren't objective like there's no qui bono who benefits for the earth being flat Uh, the the mud tarred thing in my opinion doesn't go anywhere there's no objective to it Uh, as far as these trillion dollar wars that we're doing over uh, you know on the other side of the world i think these are much more important because actual american soldiers uh actually go there to die and if it's for a false premise uh, it's, it's really messed up. And there's, there's been things like um, Operation Northwoods that I'm sure you're uh, familiar with, where it's basically outlining um, false flags that they could do to get into war with Cuba. And this isn't the first thing. I mean, Gulf of Tonkin incident and, and others, are were, we were not told the correct information, and a lot of times it seems as though they're trying to get the public perception to go hoo America to go to
0: war for false pretenses, yeah, definitely. And I think uh, I write about both of those, uh, Northwoods and Tonkin, in my book. And I looked into Tonkin quite a lot. It was very interesting. Uh, it doesn't seem like it was a planned thing. It was uh, Robert McNamara was secretary of, secretary, of, secretary of defense back then, and he was actually looking for an excuse to uh, attack North North Vietnam because he wanted to destroy their industrial uh, capacity. Uh, and there was this, this incident uh, with the, the ship, thinking it was being attacked by torpedo boats. And they basically they called in and said, you know, we're under attack. And uh, McNamara says uh, to Johnson that we need to attack. And uh, then they, they later say, oh, wait, uh, we, we don't think it was. We think it was just like a faulty radar return. And they had the records of them actually doing this. But McNamara just didn't tell Johnson about this he kind of withheld that information and didn't didn't move forward. So it's kind of like you know, factions within the government were fighting against each other. Johnson didn't really want to get into it as much as McNamara did. McNamara knew this and so he had to kind of in a way lie to Johnson to to get him to actually attack North Vietnam. And once they did the Gulf of Tonkin resolution and they did a bombing run then basically they were all in and it was irrelevant. Uh, but the truth came out on that one eventually. There was quite detailed records of the uh, the interceptions of communications and the mistranslations and the, the faulty returns, and there wasn't actually anything going on on that second uh, second attack, uh, second day at the Gulf of Tonkin. Well, it was uh, misrepresented greatly to the American public and to to Johnson, the president, at, time, at the time.
1: And this is why you have to understand at a certain point that as far as the conspiracy minded people, we have been disenfranchised because a lot of times we do research into these, these things like, you know, the pretext or one of the pretexts for the Gulf War mm-hmm. was that 15 year old Naira testifying yeah. about babies in incubators when she was actually the daughter of the Kuwaiti uh, ambassador. And it was set up by a PR company, uh, Hill and Knowlton, employed by uh, Citizens for Free Kuwait. Yeah. So a lot of the a lot of these things are um, to get into the minds of Americans. Like I said, and so you know, 9/11 is like the ultimate, uh, you know, uh, the ultimate way to go to war with the Middle East. And uh, I forget the general's name, but he he the said. Powell? No, the general that said that basically they had a plan for like seven different oh, countries yeah. or something. Petraeus, uh, yeah. I think,
0: wasn't
1: it? Wesley Clark. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of these examples um, of, hey, we have a mission, and what we have to do is uh, basically get the American people, kind of like PNAC, we need a uh, catalyzing event such as Pearl Harbor. Uh-huh. New Pearl Harbor. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, and, and, and I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, and to a large uh, extent, I I agree with you know what happened in that. 9 11 was definitely used as an excuse to invade. Yeah, you know, they invaded uh, Iraq, which had Iraq. Re- yeah. really nothing to do with 9 11. But uh, the American public were fine with that because they just you know they see the whole of the Middle East as being this one one broad thing. But yeah, it, I don't think that necessarily means that the American government did nine eleven. Uh, well, it means that they, they definitely have, ex- they benefited from it. Some of them did. Yeah,
1: they benefited from it, and at a certain point, um, you know, uh, Osama bin Laden obviously helped uh, with the Mujahideen, and I think his CIA or FBI with the USSR uh, long mm-hmm. ago, and obviously that whole I think what was it, not Bendar Bush, but the he had a large extended family and the family seemed to be friends with uh, Bush, and uh, I think even one of his brothers died in a, in a weird plane accident in Texas or something, I forget, it's been a long time, but uh, there, <laughs> it's kind of naive almost to, for in my opinion, for you to be able to see all these things that they've done in the past. And kind of be like, well, nothing to see here on 9-11 and, you know, these theories about the buildings falling yeah. in the way that they did. And I just, it's hard for me to believe, man. I, no, I,
0: I, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, I did look into these a lot, uh, into Northwoods and the Gulf of Tonkin. Uh, Northwoods was a proposal uh, document that was floated around by the uh, chiefs of staff about trying to get pretext to invade uh, Cuba, but i don 't really see the parallels in <laughs> scale uh, between what was proposed back then and nine eleven You know the idea that you would need something like uh, destroying the World Trade Center in order to justify invading Iraq. They could have just like you know let a bomb off in the uh, the u s embassy and not killed anybody or like had some uh, some chemical weapons discovered somewhere or fake some satellite photographs. It doesn't how, about take the that 19,
1: much. how about the 1993, I believe it was, bombings of the World Trade Center? Um, have you ever researched into that, where the guy actually comes out and said that he was uh, FBI informant, he recorded their phone calls? Yeah, I, I
0: haven't looked at it in great detail, but uh, I, I've heard of that, but I don't think it was, you know, specifically, very, well, very strong evidence, because, uh, you know, why would why, why we believe in this guy? He could be just saying this for some other reason. Uh, yeah, it's, well, he recorded it's, the phone calls. Is what I'm saying. Uh, do you have the recordings of the phone calls?
1: Not me personally right now. No, this right. is
0: this has been a, quite a while. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I think, you know, that again is probably what it appears to be. Like uh, uh, jihadist terrorists uh, fighting what they view as the great Satan. Like, they don't like America because of its involvement in the Middle East. Uh, we know well, that. To
1: a, to a certain extent, don't you agree with them, though? I mean, uh, you know, yeah. if you were on the I other agree. side of the world. I agree. Yeah.
0: I do agree. Uh, I mean, I'm not so sure I'm. Yeah, you know, I'm not on the side of ISIS. However, I think that America's imperialism uh has historically been overreaching and America has been involved in in nation building uh and in overthrowing governments. You know, this is something that's well known that the CIA has been involved in overthrowing governments and yeah, you know, they're they're involved in foreign propaganda to a large extent trying to influence things like uh, foreign elections. Uh, look at what's going on in Venezuela right now. Uh, there's obviously people manoeuvring in the United States government because they want a specific outcome. So you know they're meddling in other countries' elections essentially. Uh, not that I'm you know not that I'm supporting one side or the other in uh, in Venezuela, but you know just looking at it, you know, it's historically the type of thing the US has done, especially in South America. Uh, there's the 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 policy was it the Monroe Doctrine which is basically saying South America is ours. You guys all keep out. We're the ones who are going to control everything that goes on in South America. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of America's foreign policy. I think it's too uh, imperialist and it's too interventionist. And we need to work more as a, uh, I don't know, a global community rather than America being the world's police and trying to exploit the world.
1: Yeah, well, we have things like Operation Mockingbird, I'm sure you've heard from the 50s to 70s, and I would argue probably still going on. CIA paid uh, domestic and foreign journalists to publish CIA propaganda. We have things like Operation Ajax, Operation Snow White, Operation Gladio, Operation Paperclip. So there's been uh, documented, even by them, obviously, um, clandestine operations that continue to happen. And a lot of them have been to get us to war. So is there a possibility that you are afraid of the implications that 9-11 uh, could
0: have had elements of the government uh, involved? No, not at all. Uh, I'm just don't, I don't see, you know, what I focus on are the collapses of the buildings and whether there was a controlled demolition involved. I think it's, it's, there is an outside possibility that the hijackers could have been uh, influenced by somebody from America. I don't know who that is or if it's someone in power, but it could be that, you know, this is, you know, it's something that's, I wouldn't completely discount the possibility. I think it's also possible that uh, the US government uh, downplayed the threats that they've been receiving because they actually, some people, wanted there to be an attack. They didn't realize how big it was going to be, but they wanted there to be an attack so they could use this as an excuse. So there are certainly possibilities that I wouldn't discount. And I try never to really discount every single possibility. But when it comes to things like the demolition of the Twin Towers, uh, not only is that completely implausible, it doesn't seem necessary, and there's no evidence to support it happening. So, you know, that really I have to kind of just base purely on the evidence itself what we see.
1: Yeah, I've, I find it implausible that uh, and this is where a lot of conspiracy th- uh, people get it wrong, is that they, they try to say that there's never been a building that has collapsed due to office fires alone. And it's like, no, actually, dude, there's a huge there's a plane that just hit it, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so th- there's a huge other factor in that. But I find it implausible that these buildings fall and count my words here, virtually at free fall speed, mostly building seven Mm -hmm. uh, when it was just hit or it had, you know, diesel fires or whatever the excuse is nowadays. Um, I find it highly implausible that what 38 steel columns virtually collapsed at the same time for that to happen and and fall in its footprint.
0: Yeah. And I understand that. Lots of people do find it implausible, but, you know, most people I don't have very much experience with the collapses of large buildings. Uh, how many internal structures of buildings have you actually studied that have been through like uh, similar damage uh, to even World Trade Center 7? Well, this is where I defer to people actually
1: Mm -hmm. that are putting their credentials on the line, such as Richard Gage and the thousand plus others, uh, architects and engineers, that even me and you, we're we're comparatively probably laymen compared to these people that actually do
0: this in the field. So I do kind of... But then you see them making all these ridiculous mistakes and not correcting their mistakes. Like Richard Gage, head of the architects and engineers from 9-11 Truth, uh, he's been rabbiting on about this one column that he says was cut at an angle uh, and that somehow is evidence of controlled demolition. And he's got this photograph of this this column that was cut at an angle and that some firemen stood in front of it. And he says, oh, this, this proves that it was in like the few days after the collapse because there's firemen in the photo. And yet the firemen were on the scene for like nearly a year afterwards because they were constantly recovering human remains from the site. So firemen were there all the time. And not only that, I actually found photos of that column from six weeks after, where it was still standing; it hadn't been cut. And I found a, a, a photo from the same day where it had been cut. So I found the actual day on which it was cut. And yet Richard Gage has been using this as evidence, like, and quite compelling evidence for a lot of people because he's you know got his weight of authority behind it, being an architect, uh, for like over a decade. Yeah. And he never I, figured I out what was wrong.
1: When I first started listening to them and, and watching with their content, it was mostly like, "Hey, we're not going to go into the no planes and the the complete crazy conspiracies of it." These people that are obviously qualified kind of had questions about the collapse, and that, that's why I, I did support them at the beginning. And really, this has been you know 18 years now, and uh, it's. It's hard to uh, it's hard to continue this for a long time because the the public perception for the most part still is is that, uh, you know, terrorists came. And I'd like to ask you this question. Do do you believe that there was a passport found uh, unscathed of one of the terrorists? Yeah,
0: I do. How do you think that happens? Uh, Well, passports are very light and (laughs) uh, they would have been in the front of the plane. Uh, possibly like in a jacket pocket or something like that. Uh, And basically, when the plane entered the building, uh, it disintegrated because it got hit by a bunch of columns, and then there was a huge explosion, and stuff got uh, thrown out the other side of the building. And if something is uh, in a essentially low-speed explosion like a fuel-air explosion, you can just get pushed out by the the wind. Uh, The thing was, there was lots of paper, on the on the ground, you saw, you know, what one of the more from defining the moments.
1: Yeah, from the building, from the office building. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. But and there were also other things recovered from within the plane. And if you look at any plane crash, they're pretty much all crashing a ball of flame. And yet, when you look at the end results of them, you see things that are not burnt. You see things that are. Uh, you, well, you see passports. Uh, if you look at the the that plane that crashed in the Ukraine, was shot down by a missile. Uh, by a buck missile, they gathered all the passports and it was there was intact intact human remains in that case, but you know not so much in the nine eleven case obviously uh, but i don 't think it 's at all implausible that small objects with a small mass can survive you know we 're not talking about uh, you know large things surviving we 're talking about small light things like a passport which weighs like what twenty grams or something, and if it 's inside a jacket pocket, you can pretty much uh, he could set up a stick of dynamite next to it, and it would survive yeah
1: that that to me is uh completely implausible if not impossible Give it a go. It's, it's kind of it's very it's very telling that you would to me to that you would say that that in that uh event that we could see through different video cameras mm-hmm. that uh magically
0: a passport it's not just off. a passport though there's all kinds of things with the seat cushions of uh, from the, the plane were recovered. Now, if a seat cushion can get it through, why couldn't a passport get through?
1: Yeah, it's just, I, I kinda, to switch gears really quickly, uh, we're about 15 minutes left, uh, if you still wanted to do an hour, but yeah. are you okay with the uh, big pharma and uh, Israel lobby
0: in America? Uh, big pharma? As in uh, pharmaceuticals? Pharmaceutical yeah. Uh, I'm not okay with any lobbying company in America because I think they all have their their own self-interest at heart and they don't have the public interest. Uh, I just think, you know, like we talked about earlier, the entire uh, uh, US system of government is corrupt because of all this influence from lobbying. Uh, So, no, I'm not okay with big farmers lobbying and the revolving door of of regulatory agencies. Uh, I don't know what you mean by the Israel lobby, but, you know, I'm... APAC. Uh yeah, but I, I I not it's not really something I'm really familiar with. Okay. So what
1: about um what about how do you feel about the the vaccine whistleblower about the possible correlation of MMR and autism?
0: I don't think it's true. Uh if you look at what was actually presented as being whistleblowing, it was it was just like some report that if you look into it in depth and I can't remember the details right now, it doesn't actually uh, show a conclusive uh, correlation.
1: Well, let's, let's get our words right. I, I did say possible correlation, and then you said conclusive. Yeah. It's kind of like saying scientific proof. You know, that's what flat earthers like to say. So
0: yeah, but I'm talking is, there's about There's lots of other studies besides that that don't show a correlation. In fact, you know, show quite conclusively uh, by doing like large population studies that there is no link between uh, the vaccine and autism.
1: So when all these parents come out and and say that they had a happy little vibrant vibrant little kid and they go and take, you know, their their shots that are supposedly safe for them and they come home and uh, they see, you know, they see seizures, they see them become autistic uh, over the years. And also, obviously, in 1986, they passed um, the whole uh, you can't sue basically uh, the vaccine companies. I mean, don't you see that there's any kind of correlation between this kind of uh, this huge conglomerate of, of obviously monetary um, regard that, that they could be giving fake science or hiding science or uh, paying oh, other yeah. people to, you to look, do you, what they
0: If you look at things like uh, tobacco, Yep. You know, obviously there was cover-ups back then where people covered up evidence of, of wrongdoing, of uh, you know, the harmful effects of tobacco and nicotine. So if you just look at that, you know, it seems like sure there, there could be Big Pharma covering things up. And there probably are instances where Big Pharma is covering up or at least trying to hide bad results on certain things. But when you look at things like the uh, MMR vaccine, there is a huge amount of independent research that has been done, uh, not just by the manufacturers. We're not just talking about the, the manufacturer's studies. We're talking about government Who's studies. Paying them,
1: um, Who's paying them? Who's um, paying Are they just doing it on their yeah, own goodwill? The, the, gov- or? Government,
0: the government pays uh, them. It's um, a lot of government grants for this type of thing. And other countries do it. Uh, and never
1: any pharmaceutical companies paying these independent researchers. Oh, I'm,
0: I'm sure there's instances where the... the uh, I'm just, i just—I got to keep
1: you honest, man, because sometimes your wording seems like you're trying to play things off and then we have to kind of go I through... I'm not well, trying to play know. it off.
0: I you know, I agree with you that there's, that there's a profit motive. But with vaccines, uh, it doesn't really make any sense. That, <laughs> really? uh, yeah. I mean, how much money are they actually making from vaccines? They're essentially Enough like, to know, have basically products. the biggest
1: lobby. Enough to have the biggest lobby, basically in America, and pay these politicians that are supposed to be working for us, us Americans, uh, that end up being career politicians that come out being, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or you know, tens of millions. Yeah, of dollars and
0: then all these, all this independent research that at, at some point would reveal that this is going on. If really vaccines are really this, this big of a problem. Then it would be apparent in the data. It's not something you can well, sweep under the under the under the It's
1: rug. kind of like climate change. It's kind of like climate change. I mean, there, there's quite a bit of money tied up with these uh, these whole companies, and I, and really, I'm kind of the stance of uh, you know epistemologically, I can't. You know, I, I don't know that there's climate change, or I don't. You know, I know that there's not climate change or anything like that. But I I try to see like the motives behind these these things. And I try to listen to debates. I go to Metabunk. I go to Snopes. Mm -hmm. I listen to conspiracy theorists. I try to disseminate the information for myself. And at the end of the day, a lot of times there are uh, agendas that happen. And a lot of these people are actually being funded by uh, big oil or big pharma or uh, even the drug or. Yeah. And, And it seems as though yeah, well, uh, I, I certainly there's a conflict of interest. We, should,
0: we shouldn't just trust everything on its face. We should look at uh, look at the broader picture. Uh, yeah, but yeah, you know, we've only got like a, a ten minutes or so left. Can we talk a bit about your work with uh, flat Earth debunking? Absolutely. Yeah. What, what, why did you start doing that?
1: Uh, From the very beginning, basically for two weeks, I wouldn't say I was a flat earther, but I was very conspiratorial minded. I was down the rabbit hole, as you probably would put it. And so I was uh, deeply researching into it. And one of the first things I did was I I would go to Goodwill and look at, you know, older books. And I think uh, one of them was like a uh, 1913 uh, astronomy book like Practical Astronomy mm-hmm. and I looked into how there's uh, there's obviously two celestial points and this is something that uh, flat earthers cannot reconcile with even still to this day and things like the Sun not changing in angular size throughout the day and and rising and setting and the moon doing the same Um, these things couldn't be reconciled with for me. So being that I was uh, breaking my conspiratorial bias uh, due to the flat earth, truthfully, I was naive enough to think that I could come out and try to help people to find to truly be, quote unquote, awake to this whole uh, situation of this is a, a lie. This is something, you know, w- me and you really can't prove the intentions and the motives behind the people that may or may not have been involved with nine eleven. But me and you can go out and test the shape of the earth. So I went to. Uh, Great Salt Lake, which is an absolute killer for flat earth. I mean, you have mountains at different distances all around you. Sometimes you're uh, standing right next to the water and you can see a mountain that's 85 miles away. You can see the white cap sitting on the the water. And so basically my whole thing was, and I'm done with flat earth truthfully, but Mm. Uh, four and a half years of of trying to keep these people honest, the Jaronisms, the Dirks, the, all these people, trying to keep them honest because in my opinion, and I've said it for years, they're trying, this is a psyop, a psychological operation, to basically make us look, uh, tar us all with the same brush, make us look stupid. And then a couple of years later, we see any time you put in Flat Earth in the news, you see uh, anti-vaxxers, you see uh, every con- 9-11 conspiracy. So exactly what I was saying to to reach the public psyche is happening in that uh, conspiracies are dumb and they're all debunked because they're just a bunch of wackos and whack jobs thinking of you know, mud floods and all this shit. And so I, I thought I was very naive that I could come out and say, hey, look, there's evidence that you can go and see. Look at the stars. So for the first two years, I was saying things like that. Uh, and then I decided to go ahead and use some of my equipment, my drones. And and uh, I got a P- two P900s, actually uh, D3200. I got a bunch of equipment and I went out to Lake Tahoe. I went to uh, Great Salt Lake. I went all over doing star uh, photography, doing uh just photography of things being obstructed like salt lake city is is like 350 feet is obstructed over 26 miles i mean it's just Mm -hmm. you can go out there and because the water temperature is so close to the air temperature a lot of times uh, there's not too many uh, temperature inversions happening so you can go out there on a decent day and see the effects of the earth's curvature so it, it never was enough. it was purely rhetoric for the first couple of years. And then I came out with evidence. The drone is absolutely killer. Uh, seeing Strong's knob from 37 miles away, you can't see it until you're about 15 feet up and you start rising and you start to see more and more of not only Strong's knob, but all of the other mountains. So this is indicative to me of a curved surface. So unfortunately, the flat earth argument has evolved into its final stages of the infinite regression where they're talking about atmosphere without a container and the second law of thermodynamics and entropy when they have zero idea what these uh, physics concepts actually mean. Uh, but they'll continue to evolve their arguments and their arguments are at the final regression, in my opinion, to where they'll continue. They'll, they'll die on a hill to say these things continuously and, and literally think in their own mind that the earth is flat and these are good arguments for it.
0: Yeah, it's quite a challenge. I remember starting out uh, debunking chemtrails uh, back in 2007, and I naively thought that I could just find the correct explanations for contrails and give them to people, and then that would be it. But of course, you know, here we are—what, 16 years later, 17 years later, 18 years later? Good grief! Uh, I, I
1: kind of I kind of liken it to uh, somewhat of a a cult or, and, or some kind of a, a religious movement where, uh, you know, it's kind of anomalous when, when we're trying to, well, God doesn't exist or God does exist. Well, this is, this is something where we can, like I said, go out and actually test it and find these things for ourselves. And it's still to where I've only seen probably about 10 people because of my work and some other people's work that have come out of the flat earth, and come back to the globe, and there's this huge community aspect to it, where these people are so disenfranchised, most likely due to uh, all their conspiracy knowledge uh, over the years, and so they, they find a, a like-minded group, and they also have something where the Tiger Dan's, the Matrix decodes, the people that come out of Flat Earth, uh, end up getting absolutely stomped on by Flat Earthers. I mean, I I saw things from Tiger Dan saying, "I if you were on fire, I wouldn't I wouldn't piss on you." I mean, it was just it was so terrible how they treat people that come out of flat earth. So when you have this kind of belief and this whole community aspect to it, it's really, really hard to get them out of it, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because sometimes people talk about uh, how mainstream scientists don't look at 9-11 because they're afraid of what it will do. But you know, there's also the, the opposite effect that you just described where people in a conspiracy culture uh, you've, got, you've got this whole social dynamic where if they come out, they're going to be ostracized and they're going to lose, essentially, their family. Uh, yeah. A lot of it, I think, you know, people have a good time doing these things. I'm going to go to the Flat Earth Expo, uh, Escaping the Matrix Expo in Las Vegas uh, in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I kind of expect the people to be having a good time, <laughs> having uh, talking about you know, their shared beliefs and their shared uh, uh, interests, and yeah, you see people having flat Earth parties, and they're all yep. there. Like you know, it's a, a good, up. happy family, and you probably have the same thing in in every every field, like UFOs, nine uh, eleven. I don't know if you have uh, anti-vaccine parties, but you know, quite possibly people get together in a social social setting. So there's a an interesting dynamic that's uh, difficult to get past.
1: Yeah, and I was actually going to talk to you about that cuz Infinite Plane Society uh just emailed me with Mick West first Nathan Thompson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Nathan Thompson, but I I feel as if uh IPS is actually uh setting him up to fail considering uh he's in my opinion one of the worst flat
0: earthers. I've actually kicked him out yeah. of the flat earth. <laughs> but uh <laughs> he, but, he he's got a a good memory. Uh, so he can reel yeah. off a whole bunch of things. Uh, I have yeah, I've looked at a few of, of his videos and I, I've been hanging out on his his Facebook group. Uh, so yeah, he doesn't give very good arguments, and they usually <laughs> easily refuted it. And then he just ignores the explanation. Uh, so it, it, I'm not yeah, I'm not sure how what the organizers are thinking specifically. I don't think they were setting him up to fail. Perhaps just he's the only person they could get because they're kind of a little bit. Uh, on the fringe with the Mad Mike and the Infinite Plane Society don't seem to be really mainstream Flat Earth if there is such a thing.
1: Yeah, and if you actually listen to Infinite Plane Society, he does uh, shows, uh, you know, probably like 12, 1 o'clock your time in the night. Mm -hmm. Uh, He talks about mostly these uh, death fakers, and truthfully, the guy is very intelligent, but I think there's some ulterior motive with what he does. I'm not really sure that he actually holds these beliefs, but he does continue to talk about them for hours and hours yeah. about, you know, Nipsey Hustle, which is, you know, I'm not into the numerology and I'm sure you've seen a lot of that nonsense, but the, there is some striking, uh, com- like, uh, correlations to be made with just that one. But, you know, the, uh, Isaac Cappy or whatever that guy just, killed himself, I guess the other day. And, uh, you know, that was the discussion last night where it's a death faker, possible death faker. And so Mm -hmm. he, he almost is, uh, almost like a high functioning intellect, but also somewhat to me at the bottom of the barrel of conspiracies. And I've personally, uh, when he came out to uh, city council or something and started talking about bubbles in space and green screens and all this stuff, I literally went through all of his, all of his claims and showed him why he's wrong. The Nomex blue, uh, demonstration screen that dearth first said that it was a green screen, which yeah, had yeah. white checkerboards on it was in the payload of the esa was i mean i showed all this stuff to him and uh, you know it's just if it seems to fall in deaf ears and i I don't know why i I don't i don't
0: understand why he has this he calls himself an auto hoaxer where he, he claims like he's taking the default position that everything is fake and you have to prove to him otherwise which I it, think is kind of a mm, an extreme position because yeah everything. I'm, being I'm fake, close would,
1: to it. I'm close to it because it's 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 the default position, I suppose you could say, right. of somebody disenfranchised by known liars like the mainstream media. I don't watch it because all I see is agenda. It actually doesn't make me feel good at all to watch these people do what they do. Then you got your your pharmaceutical uh, commercials right oh, after. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's astounding what America has become. And, and I feel to a certain extent um it would be nice, and I haven't read your book yet, but it would be nice if you actually, and I think you did actually, go into things that are, are known conspiracies because a lot of times those known conspiracies, say Mockingbird or, or some of these things, have a nugget of truth in them uh-huh. when, when you hear it from a conspiracy-minded person. But then you can also deconstruct some of the obvious uh, fakery that they're saying about that. So,
0: yeah, yeah. this is where, where I personally hope to make a difference is in – just basically figuring out things that are false and promoting them. Like I, yeah, you know, I don't look at things like uh uh vaccines because there's so many other people talking about it and people that know a lot more about it than I do. But there really wasn't very many people doing investigating into the chemtrails stuff. You know, even now, like with flat Earth, uh there's so many people debunking Flat Earth now. It's it and it's become a circus in a way. It's yeah, basically yep. like one side saying the other side is an idiot, and then the other side making up this more and more outlandish explanations for for things, and then the other side debunking that. Uh, and really, yeah, I'm kind of, i kind of—I think I might be out of flat Earth after this conference. If uh, yeah, if nothing really changes, it's going to be an interesting interesting meeting. Uh, all these people who actually, presumably, some of them genuinely hold these beliefs. So I really would like to. Try to, you know, figure out what makes them tick and hopefully I'll meet some of them.
1: Yep. It's uh, I, I hope you will be actually, because actually what happens is and I totally agree with you. There's these fight the flat earths, these team skeptics, these people that literally have on the backs of flat earth, in my opinion, PSYOP, have made a business. Mm-hmm out of, out of quote unquote debunking it. And a lot of time they're wrong. And a lot of time they'll say that these people are mentally ill, but also then berate them continuously saying they're effing idiots or they're, they're, you know, pieces, whatever. And, and so it's like, you know, you don't go to uh, your local crazy house and start calling these people idiots and all this kind of stuff. There's a, there's a certain amount of tact that's necessary. And, and for me at the beginning, I wasn't tactful. I was very uh, vitriolic. I did I did some bad things probably within the first year but I started to kind of it started to grow on me a little bit and I've actually uh, it's changed my life and it, and it seems really stupid, but I I can tell you, uh, from a, a very like hardcore conspiracy theorist before flat earth hit, uh, it's changed my uh, life so much that, um, I'm not, you know, on the complete mainstream side. I'm not on the complete conspiracy side. I'm somewhere in the middle and, you know, everybody wants to see things in black and white, but Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in the middle where, um, you know, I, I try not to try not to say things that I don't personally know, and that gets into epistemology and, and a lot of philosophy as well. But uh, a lot of stuff I was saying before, I just heard from like Alex Jones, or I heard from here and there, and I wasn't going to the Metabunks, I wasn't going to the Snopes to fact check. And and there's a lot of times where I go to Snopes and I'm like, this didn't even actually answer the question, and this is uh, just a complete whitewash of what happened. So. Uh, You know, I'm still able to disseminate the information, basically. But we are uh, past our hour mark, man. I appreciate you uh, having a chat. And, uh, you know, it seems that we're kind of at odds uh, as far as some of our beliefs but, uh, at the end of the day, this is how you can come and talk to somebody, uh, and, and not be vitriolic and share ideas and Hey, mm-hmm. you know, I'll always say things like the passport. Uh, I think you're a nutter about that. <laughs> well, but right. we'll laugh about it. Like it's cool. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, but I think like with passports, uh, it almost like, uh, makes me want to do an experiment with a small fuel air bomb. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've actually kept some of my old passports for that reason. I, I, uh, I have an old passport and I took a page out of it and I, I soaked it in in kerosene and set it on fire just to see what would happen with it and uh, <laughs> it's uh, so it's uh, it's something I've been thinking about just because it is, you know, like it's very counterintuitive and it, it's one of these arguments that's compelling because it's, it's hard to to counter it just with words, you really have to do a demonstration of what's going on so maybe one day i will try blowing up a passport and you know you're 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 out in the desert or you have access to the desert so uh, maybe you could pop out there with uh a cherry bomb and uh, a jug full of uh, gasoline and a couple of passports nice. <laughs> all right uh, well thank you very much this has been a fascinating discussion and uh, like you say i think it's it's you know good that we can talk like this even though we do have some areas of disagreement we also have some areas of agreement and we can uh look at where the boundary of those areas are and work around that awesome thanks again man thank you very much you've been listening to tales from the rabbit hole episode six and you can find the latest episode on tftrh.com or on wherever you get your podcasts tales from the rabbit hole